Welcome to My Teacher Friends Podcast. My name is John Peschel, and as I enter my 21st year of teaching, I wanted to create a podcast to share stories, teaching tips, and inspiration. Each week, I'll be joined by one of my smart, talented, passionate teacher friends for a conversation about all things education. Join us, because there's no job as challenging or as rewarding as being a teacher. Well, today I am joined by my good friend, Elliot, who is a 5th through 12th grade band teacher. So let's get started with a little bit about you. Uh, can you share a little bit about your educational history, where you went to school, what other professional jobs that you've had, things that have led up to where you are today? Absolutely. Thanks for having me here mm-hmm. on the podcast today. Yeah. So I went through the Chippewa Falls School District in my early days of education, and I had a great upbringing with the band program there, and that was kind of where I found, even though I had a slew of different band teachers, I kind of found my passion to want to give through music in that kind of sense, an educational sense. So from there, I went to UW-Eau Claire, did my undergraduate work there as a percussionist. Great music school. Absolutely. Great music school. Yes, there's just so many great opportunities there. With I felt blessed that in my backyard there was an excellent jazz program, an excellent concert band program, a very cool 350-person marching band that is performed at the Indianapolis Colts Stadium, and also just a top-notch education program that really pushed me. So from there, I went and student taught at Cameron Schools um, with the middle and high school band director there. Had an excellent experience getting some exposure to smaller school teaching. I think the class sizes are about 50 to 60 students. So something that I was not as used to, and I found the benefits of being in a small school. And now I find myself in an even smaller school where I have about 30 to 40 students per grade. We're out in rural Wisconsin, um, kind of out. There's lots of Amish out here, lots of, uh, about like 50% of our student age population does not go to school because they're either Amish, they're either German, Baptist, Mennonite, or any of those things where they're homeschooled. So different challenges that that, that has presented that also brings some very great blessings to work with those students. Yeah. So, um, how many years have you been teaching? This will be my third year. So starting I've taught your for, third year. Yes, starting my third year. So I've taught for a full two, and now I feel like student teaching is officially over. Right. Yeah. When <laughs> you think back to those first couple years of teaching, who were the people that you really relied on and depended on to get you through? So within those first couple of years, when I started, there were two other first-year teachers that were teaching at the high school, and we were like kind of dubbed the Three Musketeers because we kind of pushed each other through that first year. We would go and eat dinner together like once a week. We would always try and find ways to vent out positively, about, like, what was going on, because it's just like, oh my gosh, this student is driving me crazy, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to do about this, like, I have no idea what I'm doing, or, wow, like, these two students actually just learned something, this is so crazy, so having those two other teachers that were going through what I was going through was amazing, my co-worker who teaches choir was my mentor my first year, and is one of my best friends, and absolutely was a sounding board for everything I was trying to go through and I became the same for her. So it was a very 
equal relationship where even though I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, she really supported me and would ask for my advice on things through that as well. And also my administration was incredibly supportive. My first year I was teaching third through fifth grade general music on top of what I'm doing now. Don't ask me how that's possible, but it was. And within, after my first year, our superintendent was like, we want this to be great and found another position. And that allowed me to pool my efforts into the instrumental program and allowed us to get an excellent educator at the general music portion. So the kids could really get the best of everything they had. So all of those people were really, really great. And my mom taught, my mom, my sister, my mom taught kindergarten for 25 years. My sister is currently teaching kindergarten and will become an excellent principal one day. And they were just awesome to be able to talk to, even though they're not as musically involved as I am, just to say, hey, am I doing this right? Or this is what just happened. And just to kind of share those first experiences with them and for them to reminisce with me and to talk about how it was for them. So I've had a lot of really good sounding boards and that's what surviving these past couple of years and thriving past it has been about having great people to talk to. So I think finding a great fit in um, in a specialist area like band, choir, biad, music um, is challenging. Can you uh, talk a little bit about the interview process that you went through to get your job? Was it was it like a standard sit-down interview? Was it a performance interview? What was it like to get this job that you currently have now? So this interview was pretty standard. There were, a, there were I'm trying to think uh, who was all on there. About there were four or five people interviewing me, so a pretty standard process of what it is now, I would say. And there were some questions that were pretty particular. For example, our school, my first year I was there, we hosted solo ensemble, which entailed to a solo ensemble festival, a large group festival, and a um, concert festival. So they asked me, we're hosting solo ensemble this year. What kind of (laughs) advice or experience do you have to be able to do that successfully? And I was like, oh, this isn't even just, like, a fake question. Like, this is actually going to happen, so I have to give really good information right now. But what a scary question for someone new to think, like, not only will I be starting my first year, but I'm also leading solo and ensemble for the, for the district or for the, the area. Yeah, and so it was a, all right, I've, this is a fake it till you make it kind of moment, and I, <laughs> it's like, I haven't done that particularly, but, you know, it's, I tried to pull amongst any kinds of experience I had, but they are definitely looking for in an instrumental program. It's kind of got a different thumbprint, um, along with other music programs or, or like choir orchestra or anything where the teacher blends between curricular and extracurricular. For example, I teach marching band and pep band outside and I have lessons after school. So it's a different kind of relationship. Not that, not a bad or worse or better one than, a regular teacher, but it, there's a thumbprint that they want to see. How are you going to put your stamp on this program and how will you be able to relate with them? So one thing that they were definitely looking for was personal relations and being able to build those. So that was something that I really value. And when I first walked into the program, there were excellent things going on, but my high school band of ninth through 12th graders was 26 students. So I was able to really get to know all those students on a very strong personal level that allowed for us to make great music and 
make a lot of growth and create an excellent product with um, a large group of people. There was another interview that I had with a different job, though, that was more performance-based. Really? Yes. Tell me about that. So that one, I had to conduct a piece of music with with a group of five different students, and I've never seen the music before. And that was for those five students who were obviously not choosing that I got the job or not, but they're just kind of there as um, students to perform and give any extra opinions they had for the bit for the band director to think about and then i also performed for the band director that i would have been working with i also had to perform on my instrument so i had to play marimba solo i could play snare drum solo i could pick what i wanted to do and then that was one portion of the interview there's another team that i had a traditional interview Ah. process with so that one was intense yes that was kind of they were definitely looking for how are you in the classroom? How do you conduct? They want to see all of those things. So it's just a varying level depending on where the program's at and what the administration and the school wants to see that you can bring. Mm-hmm. So that's all dependent on it. So Do you remember that moment that you found out that you got the job? Yeah, it so was. Tell me about that. It, how, how did they let you know? What, did, what, did it, what was it like? That process with this school that I have the job at now was incredibly fast so i i was in the point of june just finishing student teaching and i was kind of slightly panicking because i was like oh my gosh i don't have an interview yet and my i worked my butt off in college so like i don't feel like i'm that underqualified so i um talked to one of my professors like hey can you look at my resume because it must be awful because nothing (laughs) is happening so can you help me out so he tore it to pieces and i fixed it and it was much 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 better and this place was the first place i sent it to okay so i gave them a call to ask on some clarifying questions about hey it says your job is instrumental education what does that entail to what grades and they told me the breakdown that it was fifth through twelfth grade band i was like hey that's exactly what i did at my student teaching placement, and they're like, excellent, we'll look for your application. That was Thursday I sent it in. Friday I got an email saying, hey, can you come in for an interview on Monday? Monday I drove down here for an interview, and then Tuesday I got the call that I had won the job, and it was just kind of all of this happening so fast, like, wow, yeah. like, I am now not living on government money from college anymore. Right. I can support myself. Where am I going to live? Where, like, right. what is this going to be like? What do I have, like, what if I have no idea how to teach general music? Like, so all of these excitement and what ifs kind of collecting all at the same time that make this wonderfully, this wonderfully awesome mix of excitement and fear. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's a good kind of fear. Uh-huh. Absolutely a good kind of fear. But it's still, I mean, you don't know what to expect because this is the first time for a teacher to go into the classroom on their own where there's not someone else supervising them. And a lot of my professors have said, you know, your first year of teaching, that's your real student teaching. And I totally understood that after I did it. So uh, it was this cool feeling when I won the job that I don't know what's going to come next, but it's going to be really amazing and exciting. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, our next section 
um, is we're going to play a little game, if you're up for it. Oh, I love games. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So as a kid, I remember feeling panicked about third grade multiplication timed tests, right? <laughs> I was the kid that dreaded those. Some kids loved them. I was the kid that dreaded those. Oh, so I, lo- I did love those. Did. Those are a blast. Okay. So we're going to flip it a little bit, and now I'm going to time you for a minute. Answer as many questions as you can. You're welcome to elaborate if you want, um, or we can just kind of go fast. It's totally up to you. So I'll ask a question, and you just fire a response, and I'll set the timer for one minute. All right. All right. right. Here we go. Ready? Yes. Favorite month of the school year? Um, September. Favorite thing to do in the summer that you don't do during the school year? Go to concerts. First name of a colleague that has had a positive impact on you? Mike. School lunch. Always, sometimes, never. Sometimes, sometimes I wish it was never, though. Okay. Teacher's lounge. Always, sometimes, never. Sometimes, but sometimes we have created our own teacher's lounge because there's way too many people in ours, so. Um, Going into school on the weekends. Always, sometimes, never. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's always it depends what part of the season it is. I wish it was more sometimes. <laughs> um, favorite piece to teach for middle school band? Ooh, oh, that's a you shouldn't ask that question. It's really hard. There's way too many to pick from. Prehistoric suite and favorite uh, pep band jam. Ooh, oh, I have to answer this one. Yeah, um, Seven Nation Army. All right, okay. My students Seven would eight. agree with me on that okay. one too. Awesome. Cool. Well, you survived your time test. Yay! Sweet. All right. You don't even have to study for it. <laughs> We're going to move in into uh, sharing a few teacher tips. So this is a chance where you get to share a tip with our listeners to try um, in their classrooms and environments. So what is a teaching tip that um, has worked for you and for your students in your environment? So one question that I always ask myself is, what are your students thinking? Although sometimes we don't want to know the answer to this. And I always tell my students that I don't always want to know the answer or they don't want to know the answer of what I'm thinking sometimes. One of the largest factors that will get more student growth and learning is a two-way street of input. So where you, throughout the learning process and at the end of the learning process and at the beginning of it, finding out what are your students thinking and having them knowing what you're thinking as well. We often tell them what we're thinking, Mm -hmm. but it's that period when we're talking, talking, teaching, teaching. We're so focused at this awesome lesson that we spent like an hours upon hours planning and then their faces are blank. Mm -hmm. And then we're thinking, are they getting it? Are they not getting it? And although reading those expressions is a skill and something we have to be able to do opening up that pathway of communication is key to doing two things one building community in your classroom two allowing your students to feel like they have a part in their learning so a few different things i do is i try to create probing questions that are very open-ended and allow them to openly give to the class so One strategy I use is a pair and share. So I might ask a question and say, all right, so on that last, if we're in a band classroom, I say, okay, and we are going to talk with a neighbor right next to you about what you just heard on that last run through and whatever our focus might have been, perhaps we're focusing on our softs and our louds. 
did you hear them all the time? Did you hear them sometimes? Talk about why you did or what you heard. So that's kind of an opportunity for them to share and not feel like they're pressured to give it to someone. The next option is then when you say you want them to share it to the classroom and you're going to have those kids who are super pumped to give their information and say what they have to think. And so something that I'll do is I'll just stop conducting sometimes and I'll say, what did you hear? So something as open as that, and I had to train them, especially my younger students, to not just say, I heard a saxophone. I'm like, excellent, me too. What did you hear that saxophone doing? So once you train them to, like, what did you hear, what was working, what was not, um, you'll get some great conversations going. And they might say things that you didn't even know that were happening. And that's the biggest thing, is being able to reflect on what they're thinking. The other way you need to be able to do this is there are those students who just don't feel comfortable wanting to raise their hand and slow down the flow. And although I work really hard to try and create a comfortable atmosphere where it's like, hey, I want you to, I want to answer your questions and I want to help you get to where you need to be so you're comfortable, please raise your hand so I can help. There are students that will not do that. And so I often do exit tickets or I do surveys or I might do something as simple as like, all right, on your way out, just tell me one thing that wasn't working for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I might record that like just on my phone while I'm on my way out because I'm going to forget 40 different middle schoolers who are saying what's not working for them. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. But I've learned that when it's written down, I have found that there were things where I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that they didn't understand that. Like, for example, I remember we had a rehearsal reflection one day where I wrote, to the or I ask the students to write what's one thing in your write down a spot in your music that is not working for you or that is confusing for you and I found all of these things I'm like oh my goodness we need to rehearse here we need to do that so that combination of pairing and sharing having students share openly and then having students share in a more private setting will allow for you to know what's working for them what's not. Mm -hmm. And that's going to allow you to find out what intrinsically motivates them too. Because at the end of the day, it needs to be our classroom. And there are some teachers who it is their classroom. And I understand that feeling of control and that they need to have respect and they need to follow those procedures. For myself, I found through having a warm atmosphere of where I'm trying to lead this open culture of sharing and helping each other that's going to allow for them to give that input and feel comfortable doing that versus where if they feel threatened they're not going to tell you what's not working because it's just not working period right so that is something those three things have allowed me to get to what are your students thinking that's an awesome awesome tip and i feel like um it can be used across many different content areas, right? Absolutely. The idea of exit slips and collecting some formative assessment about how students are feeling about their learning is something that you can do um, pre-K all the way through university level. And it can be quite informative assessment. It can be as simple as, all right, just take a sheet of, like, just hand out sheets of paper and write one word that you don't understand. Right. It doesn't have to be complex, right? Yeah, because yeah. you, you know, like, and I will never forget, this was the best mistake that ever happened in my life as a music educator, was my content purpose that I push amongst my students is that music is the human experience through sound. 
And I remember, I was like, man, they know this. Like, they rock at it. They could totally recite it for me. And I remember at a concert, I challenged them to finish the sentence. I said, because remember, ladies and gentlemen, the music is a human experience through... And then I heard an awkward silence from my students, and some of them said, hearing! And I was like, no! So I found out, I'm like, you need to find other ways to probe that information and to find out what are your students thinking. Are they thinking about the content? If they're not, what can you do to make that happen? And now it's time for a commercial break. Did you know that Rodan & Fields is the number one skincare brand in the U.S.? With four regimens, there are solutions to every skincare need. Each regimen provides your skin with the right ingredients, in the right amount, in the right order, and lasts more than 60 days. With a 60-day empty bottle money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. For me, the reverse regimen with the Active Hydration Serum changed my skin. I couldn't be more pleased with my results. Everyone can have better skin, and it starts with reaching out. I can be found on Facebook or by email at myteacherfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Mention this podcast, My Teacher Friends, when you contact me and receive a special gift with your first PC order. Rodan and Fields, life-changing skincare. This is Connor. Here are some jokes for all the teachers out there. What is a snake's favorite class? History. What kind of school do you go to if you're a surfer? Boarding school. A teacher asked, can you tell me where the Declaration of Independence was signed? A student answered, at the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) And now, back to the podcast. My teacher friends. Well, they're not my teacher friends, but that's the name of the show. Well, welcome back. Now is our chance to have um, Elliot talk a little bit about something that's on his mind in education and in his heart. So, um, Elliot, what would you like to talk about today that's in your mind and in your heart when it comes to education? So something I'm going to talk about today that's really important to me as not just an instrument educator, but as an educator in general, is the idea of growth mindset and the building of the brain chemical called myelin. And I'm going to get a little sciencey up in here in just a little all bit. All right, all right. But, so, one problem that we often have in our classrooms is that students don't feel that they, they start to relate talents to something that they're born with, whether they got it or they don't. So, for example, a kid who comes in, oh, I'm not good at math. Oh, I, For example, I know I'm not the fastest reader, and so I could turn that into I'm bad at reading, or, yeah, I can't play my concert B-flat scale. Things that they just, nope, they just don't have it, and they don't have the talent, so they're not going to give you effort because, you know, LeBron James was born to play basketball, they weren't, so that's what they're, or you were born to teach English and they were not born to read your English book that you're giving them. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is break that habit of students thinking that way. So I've learned that I've transitioned to getting these students to find that they can build this talent and this skill Mm -hmm. and that it's something they can grow 
And it's even tougher nowadays because technology is everywhere. Right. And when even like nine-year-olds have phones in their hands at school, they can instantly get anything that they want really quick to where they can just say, hey, and I would do it. I would pull out my phone in class sometimes and say, hey, Google, what's the capital of Texas? And it would say really quick, capital is Austin. I'm like, guess what? One, none of you will care about that in 10 seconds because you'll forget. Two, you're not Google. You can't get that information so fast. So that's something that with this generation more than ever, we have to really reinforce skill and talent is something you can grow. And... The way we grow it is by building this brain chemical called myelin. So um, there's an excellent educator out there in the um, instrumental and just general education world by the name of Chris Gleason. And I've gotten a lot of ideas from him. So this is a little bit of his ideas on myelin that I'm going to quote a little bit. But myelin is a chemical in our brain that insulates the chain of nerve, nerve fibers chain of neurons that's sending the information that we know so the more we repetitively do something with meaning and with intent Mm -hmm. that's how we build myelin so for example if you're teaching a student teaching a kid how to do a free throw and constantly reviewing that gooseneck with your hand and the follow-through and going through that process over and over and over again by repeating that with meaning and thinking about that process over and over again your brain is wrapping this chemical kind of like the insulation uh, around an electrical wire to keep that information inside and be able to fire faster one analogy i use with my students a lot um this is a bit of a psychology thing is Especially when I live out in rural Wisconsin, I tell them, all right, so imagine you're out in like a prairie or a big grass field that's got some tall grass or out in the woods and you're wanting to create a shortcut and you walk through this, the woods. What's going to happen the first time when you walk through a heavily wooded area? And they're going to say, well, I'm going to get scratched up. Um, My legs are going to get hit with grass and trees and stuff. And I'm like, exactly. Now, what happens if you walk that pathway over and over and over again every single day? And they're like, well, that grass is going to pat down. Exactly. And to one point, there won't even be grass anymore. It'll become dirt. And that's the same idea as building myelin, where we do something over and over and over again with meaning, it eventually becomes natural, and we don't even have to think about doing it. So I often will talk about that with them, that you've got... Now, if you go the wrong way, if you don't get to where you're supposed to, like if you do it incorrectly, that's not going to help you build myelin. Right. And like all often, for example, because a lot of my kids say all the time, they're like, practice makes perfect. And they're trained to think that. And I always say practice makes permanent, which is a myelin type thing, because I'll play for them hot cross buns on my clarinet really, really bad. And I'm like, now, if I practice that for 30 minutes every single day, right. I'm going to be really good at that. And they're like, yeah. So, um, it's that idea that you have to make sure you're getting to the right destination and you have to do, and sometimes getting to that destination is very difficult the first time and it's difficult. It's hard for them to want to push through that, but they just have to know you need to do it again. Right. So now here's the question of kids will say, well, okay, cool. Myelin makes it easier for my brain to learn something instead of having to guess. How do I build it? Right. How many times do I have to do it? Well, the answer is a lot. Um, Your brain has to continually wrap that myelin around over and over and over again. And so the big thing is, I I never say this to make a student feel stupid. And I actually don't say this that often to students. But 
the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. So if the student is doing it over and over again and not getting it the same way, then you need to teach them different ways to try it, different ways to practice the information. Yeah, so what are some different ways that you help kids develop their skills in the band world? So I have found that the first thing is identifying, hey, this isn't working. Like this part is makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know how to do it. So we talk about creating a list and I've actually given them a list before and let them check the box of which ones worked for them that they tried. And they have lots of different strategies because you need to model and give them a lot of different strategies. So for example, if I'm in an instrumental classroom and the students are like, hey, measures 12 through 14, I, I can't play this. Then I'm like, all right, so here's some of your options. We can, we can just clap through it just to get the rhythm. We can say the note name to make sure we know that. We can just finger through it or just um, air mallet or air stick over our drum. We can play it forwards and backwards. We can play each note on a different rhythm. We can hum it. We can listen to it. We can... There's so many different things they can do in order to work on getting it better. And often, they then find out what was the root problem that was Mm -hmm. stopping them from being able to get it. Like, for example, especially with my beginner students, like, we do a lot of fingering the notes and saying the note names. Because often, it's not being able to get that reaction to happen really quickly. So they will learn... Sometimes they'll... Like, and sometimes they'll play through a song and they'll get all the correct fingerings, but the notes won't come out right. I'll be like, okay, what did you hear? And they'll say, oh, first I'll say it was bad. And I'll say, okay, no, it wasn't bad. It was okay. What can we, what didn't work? And they'll be like, well, the notes weren't right. I'm like, exactly. You were on beat. You were in rhythm. You were fingering the correct notes, but they didn't come out correctly. So then they find out, okay, now I need to find a way to isolate that skill. So by isolating that skill, then you wrap that myelin, you just do it again, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again, until it starts to feel normal for them. Yeah. So as you've been been working on this, what are, what are some of the successes that you've had? How has this paid off for student learning? How has this paid off for the community that you're establishing in your band room? So... It has created, well, first it's created a community in the sense that, like, it's kind of almost a funny joke that we say all the time. I'm like, I'm like, okay, we need to do it again because why? We need to build. And they're all like, my land. And so it's, yeah, so they know it's something that's important. And, like, we've spent a lot of time talking about it. But it makes them feel in control of their learning. And that's the biggest thing is I found, I remember having a, not great concert with a group of students that is a good group of students and we were all just confused like they're like why did we sound bad and I'm like I don't know why did we sound bad and so I asked them I'm like okay who practices like who brings their instrument home like maybe who brings their instrument home to practice and you know a good amount of them raise their hands which is like yay excellent and now I then ask them who gets frustrated and feels like they give up when they practice. And a ton of hands shot up. And then I asked, who feels discouraged to practice because they're frustrated? More hands go up. And I'm like, that's the root of the issue. That mm-hmm. they don't know how... I have to teach them to know how to learn. Mm-hmm. And once we teach students how to not have to feel like we have to hold their hand in order to do it, mm-hmm. 
that's when they're going to learn on their own. So they'll find out what strategies work best for them. So I've had a lot of, I mean, I've been able to say to students, okay, you need to get here, figure out what you're going to do to get yourself there. So I've had some younger students grow really quick and start to understand how to learn and make those connections, not just in that classroom, but in other classrooms as well. So that's been a really great skill that I feel like I'm giving to them because I know that not every kid is going to play their instrument for the rest of their life, unfortunately. Um, any band teachers who are listening out there, hopefully you know that true reality. So the big thing is what kind of skills are going to make them better humans, going to yeah. make them better people. And this is one of them, is being able to learn and know how you learn and knowing that if this isn't working, how am I going to make it work? Fascinating. Thank you for sharing all of that. So before we kind of wrap up today, I have two final questions for you. Um, I'll kind of read them back to back and then give you a chance to respond mm -hmm. to each of them. The first one is, what advice do you have for someone who's entering their first year of teaching? And what advice do you have for someone entering their last year or last few years of teaching? So what would you say to those people entering the profession for the first time and those that are just wrapping up their career in education? First thing to that first year teacher, don't freak out. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. You're going to freak out a lot, but it's going to be all right. So you need to do a few things. You need to surround yourself with lots of different kinds of people. So you need to surround yourself with great veteran teachers, with the, as you would say, the quote-unquote marigolds, the ones who have really good information, have really good energy, who you're going to be able to steal stuff from. Do not reinvent the wheel. You don't have time for that. You do not have time to reinvent the wheel on everything. Surround yourself with teachers who have great practices, whether it's within your content or whether it's cross-curricular. And in my school, when there's one, maybe two teachers per content area, and I'm the only instrumental music teacher, I have to go cross content um, if I'm staying within my school. Now, don't feel like you have to live within your school. I found a lot of different networks. Please use those college professors. Please find different Facebook groups that exist out there. I'm on a Facebook group that has 16,000 different band teachers. And that's a really good sounding board. If you've just got a weird question, you want someone who's in the profession to answer it for you. So surround yourself by those people. Also, surround yourself by the people who are just as panicked as you are. Those first year <laughs> teachers, that was everything for me, is having that where we could kind of vent about, oh my gosh, this kid is driving me crazy. Oh, he's driving you crazy too? Holy crap, like what do we do? And then like being able to celebrate our successes, like... I just did this and the kids loved it. It's such a it's such a cool novel thing when we're having those early successes. So find those new teachers. Find if they're not within your school, find it within your district. Find those younger teachers who have that energy like you do to be excited about it, but share those hardcomings. They totally get it, right? Those are your people that get everything you're going through. Yeah, and, and you know the veteran teachers, they've gone through it and they've endured it and that's why they say they give that advice with a lot of endearment, but they're not in it right now. And so those people who are in it right now, it's fresh in your mind. So find those people. Also, find people outside of your school. And that can even be teachers outside of the school setting. 
you need to get out of your school and take care of yourself. Mm. Whether it's just finding different hobbies, getting out of your town, finding out what's what there's to do around your town, you're going to want to put a lot into your first year teaching because you don't know what you're doing. And you're trying to find out what works and you want to reach these kids and you want to help them. But the fact of the matter is, is you're learning just as much as they are. And we will be learning that all the way until the end, which will get me to my answer my next question in just a bit. But you need to take care of yourself and sometimes say it is okay to leave your bag at school. And um, my sister would often tell me, she's like, pick a day that you're not going to bring your bag home, that you're not going to. She's like, maybe it's Saturday, maybe it's Sunday, maybe it's Wednesday. Pick a day that you will not do schoolwork because that will be there. That schoolwork will be there and it'll be waiting for you when you get back. What a great tip. I love that tip. And I've absolutely been that guy who has brought my bag home, getting home at like 8.30 at night after a pet band or um, a concert or something. I'm like, all right, I need to like pound out writing out this like tenor sax part or I need to get this resource for this lesson. And then I get on my couch and I'm like, I can't function. And I don't even use anything in my bag. So I just was finally thinking sometimes – I need to take care of myself to be the best teacher for them. It's definitely a strategy that I am going to try. I love that. Not bringing the book bag home one day a week. Yeah, because then yeah. it just and, – and don't open don't open all your emails either. Right. Like, right. Yeah, I mean that is the biggest thing is knowing that it's okay to not be just a teacher. You need to be other things as well because your students are going to want you to be – a person outside of that. That's usually what they respect the most is knowing that you're a human. Like, wait, you go to the grocery store too? Wait, you go to like concerts too? Yeah, you want them to be able to know that. So if you shut yourself within those walls, that's all you can do. So now we're going to transition into the advice that you have for those kind of ending their career, right? In their last year of teaching. So what do you want to say to those people? What advice do you have for them? First off, like mad respect, like... That's amazing. 30 years of teaching, you earn every bit of retirement that's coming your way pretty soon. And so, you know, when we've done something for 30 years, okay, here's the concept of myelin, where, you know, you do something over and over again where it becomes natural, and you would like to think you know what you're doing. You would like to think that you're comfortable. And I would like to say that after 30 years of teaching that I'm going to know what I'm doing. But the fact of the matter is, is... I say a lot, I hope my best day of teaching is my last and that I will still have more to learn because the moment we turn off that switch of wanting to learn from other teachers, that's when our students will stop benefiting. So continuing to find ways to learn and continue to grow, but also give that awesome information is huge. And I can say as a young teacher, we look up to you a lot when you want to share that information with us. We really look for you as educators. So please find us. If not, we'll find you and share that information. But I mean, in general, celebrate, celebrate what you've given to those kids and how many different generations you've changed. But I can't begin to imagine what they're feeling because i mean i feel tired even after two years of teaching (laughs) but it's an amazing thing that they've done and so the biggest thing is continue to share 
and want to grow. That was the biggest thing. One of my, my quad rating teacher from student teaching who was, had taught for, I believe, 31 years at that point. And he was like, man, I'm just really excited to learn something new from you. Mm. And that validated that we all are glasses half full that have something to share. And that'll inspire students to do the same thing. Well, I would like to thank you, Elliot, for being my guest and joining me today on the podcast. It is so great to sit down and talk with you. Um, Every time we chat, I feel like I learn more and more from you. Uh, So uh, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, and it was great to be here. And that's it for this episode of My Teacher Friends. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, please like the show on Facebook at My Teacher Friends Podcast. Be sure to tell a friend, subscribe on iTunes, rate and review the show. And until next time, remember, celebrate and nurture every child every day.